0: I, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of, of Mass, it's Laetare Sunday, Laetare, joy that's why we wear the, these pink vestments and it's a sign of the, like that anticipation of the nearness of the Paschal Mystery so that we have this joy huh? Lent is about to come to a close in a few weeks so we're joyful, Laetare I was in the sacristy last night at the 4 o'clock and uh, Father Pacer was in there and and I was like, uh, do, I have to, do I have to wear uh, the pink vestment? And because, uh, you know, it's, it's optional. If you don't really want to wear pink, you don't have to. And uh, he's like, come on, you should, you should wear it. And I said, I don't like it. And he said, that's just, he goes, it's, you lack the confidence uh, to pull off pink. And that's what he said. <laughs> so I wore it, okay. I'll show him. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, the, the nearness of, of, of the resurrection, huh? It's this uh, color of the first moment of dawn in the morning as the sun is about to come up. It's that color. That's why they chose it. Um, I was, uh, you know, part of the, we had a couple of, you know, a few uh this week. We had St. Patrick uh, Friday. We got Saint Joseph today, but it's transferred to, to Monday because of, of, of the Sunday. And why does it transfer? Because it's a solemnity. Joseph is a solemnity. It's not obligatory, but it's a solemnity. And and Saint Patrick for us is is a, a solemnity. It's a like that's a that's a major feast day. Again, not obligatory. Uh, Bishop uh, Malloy even dispensed us from uh, the obligation to uh, abstain from. Uh, for meat uh, on Friday, last Friday. But because it's our day, and it's a solemnity, and it's like tomorrow with St. Joseph, and that's a solemnity, if one chooses, one can relax one's Lenten restrictions, huh? For that day. You know, you don't go crazy. But, you know, if you're, all right, I gave up uh, something, and well, maybe I'll have a little bit of that on, to honor St. Joseph. You know? And... And so, you know, one of the things I gave up was screens. And, and so I thought, well, you know, it's St. Patrick Day and it's, it's allowed, so I was on my phone and I was looking at um, some Instagram reels, those little uh, video vignettes that can be so funny and so interesting and, and uh, a major waste of time. But uh, I I was on there for maybe uh, 15 minutes, uh, maybe it was a half hour. <laughs> one loses one sense of time. Um, but there's one, there was one uh, video of this uh, college guy and uh, somebody, asked, he was answering a question. Somebody came up to him on the street and was asking, I said, hey, what is the biggest regret of your whole life? All the regrets, what is the one that, you, that bothers you or you felt was the biggest regret? And without even thinking, this, this young man um, said, uh, the way I treated my brother when we were growing up, because I treated him terribly, and I regret that. So we were best friends, and I love him, but boy, was I, I was not nice to him. I regret that. I just thought that was so interesting, but it was in the past tense. I, I, did, I, treated, I, I treated him badly in the past. Not anymore, now I, I love him and we're friends. Uh, something happened in their relationship that changed obviously, and that moment of conversion in his life or whatever it was, it's different now, it's better. But we can still be left with feelings, like missed it though, like all that time, we could have been friends and, and been good to each other and I was so lousy, that's the regret. Or the regret that we, we, we have it in us to treat people so terribly. So there, maybe the question to start with today is what's the, what's the biggest regret of your life? When you think about yourself and all that you've done and all the people that you've come in contact with in your days, do you have any, any regrets? And the answer is absolutely. We all do. We all have things that we've done, and we look back and it's like, man, I was just a, I was a jerk to that person or in that situation. I was. Maybe you're not anymore. What happened? Speaking of brothers, um, this first reading in Samuel is so beautiful. So mysterious. Uh, Samuel has been sent by God to the family of Jesse and Jesse's seven sons to pick out the future king and to anoint him. Samuel goes, there's the boys, and he takes a look. He says, "These, these are fine young men, and this one looks like the best, but God rejects him. God sees something in this young man that is not worthy of kingship, just rejects him. Goes down the whole line of the boys and says, Not one of these is going to be the king. There must be another one because God sent me here. And if he's rejected these, where's the one that has been chosen? Well, Jesse's like, Well, I got one more boy. Uh, he's the youngest, but he's, uh, he's way out in the fields working. Now, what's wrong with this picture? Seven, he's, got all, he's got six boys himself. They're at the house. They're about to have a big party. And the youngest one, he's probably like 10, he's out working. And it isn't just like next door. He's out in the fields. He's miles away taking care of these animals. He sleeps out there in the dark by himself with animals. Is that good parenting? <laughs> In some cases, it might be. <laughs> so I feel bad for David. I feel bad for him. This this passage bothers me a lot. Uh, because there's this kid, and he shouldn't be treated this way. And I, I wonder, after David had been chosen, he comes, finally bring him in, and that's him, and they anoints him in the spirit from that day on rushed upon David and David becomes uh, the future glory of Israel uh, uh, an amazing king now do you think his father or his brothers had regrets about the way they treated this young man maybe later when David was uh, so famous and so prosperous and you know all that regrets and how we treat each other, but how, the way we look at people and judge them, like, I'm gonna treat him badly because I don't like this, that, or the other thing, or he bothers me, or I don't like this young kid because you know, whatever the reason uh, Jesse did that to David, if he did anything at all, I'm just (laughs) kind of reading into it, or the fact that his brothers let it happen. What was their issue? Why did they let it happen? And the Old Testament is replete with situations in family where there's strife, the relationships where there's strife. Why does that happen? Why do we allow it? Why do we do it ourselves? And how do we carry those regrets with us for the rest of our life? Or if it's been done to us, we hold on to that acrimony and that recrimination and that sense of uh, just, I can't, I'm so angry at that person, I'll never forgive them. Huh? Why do we do that? Now, there's the use of... Uh, The word see in in the readings today. Like, you know, Samuel saw Jesse's son, saw David. That's the one. There's this man born blind. Jesus sees him. Jesus sees him. The, the, The villagers saw the man as a beggar. That's a key line. They saw the man as a beggar who could now see. They were still holding him back in that blindness. He hadn't changed. The way Samuel sees David versus how we saw the others—not by uh, God's ways do we see. Man sees completely different. God sees by uh, by or that we see by appearance. God sees into the heart. Here's the problem: we don't look at each other and see into the heart. We see appearances, we see how people look, we see by what they've done to us, we see what they wear, where they, uh, where they live, where their friends are, what kind of job they have, how much money do they have, how big is their house, how nice is their car, how well behaved are they? And we make judgments, and they're solid ones, and they dictate how we treat them, until later, perhaps. When God's glory shines through them because of how they have been healed and they live in the Lord, will say, How did I ever misjudge that person? I regret that. A man born blind. And the people are saying, Is it his sin or his sin of his parents that makes him blind? And Jesus is saying, You missed the point. It's not that at all. I don't see that man and see blindness, and I don't see sin. I see a son. I see someone who is loved, and through that love, that life can be transformed into something extremely powerful and beautiful, and yet you won't do that, you won't allow that life to come, you won't allow that beauty to come, you won't allow that forgiveness to come, because you see as men do, and I'm saying you need to change the way you see things. Put on the eyes of Christ and see the way Jesus sees. Ah, that's when things go, that's when things go well. Now, In the Gospel of John, there's a, this weird thing where he spits on the clay and makes, or spits on the dirt and makes clay with it, and he puts it on the guy's eyes. What's that? I love stuff like that. It's so weird. It's got to mean something, huh? And, and in, in the, the connection is Genesis, where God took... The clay of the earth and formed man and then he breathed his life into it. God took dirt, formed us, and he breathed, he aspirated, He what is breath, but it's, it's got moisture. Jesus is taking moisture and he's forming dirt and he's putting it on the guy's eyes. Why the eyes? Because the eyes are dimmed by original sin. The eyes can't see properly. The eyes can't see how beautiful we are in God's eyes because of original sin, and we can't see how other people are beautiful because of the sin that we possess. We need glasses. We need the eyes of faith to be put upon us so that we no longer see the way we see. We see, we see the way God sees and all the great possibilities. And so Jesus now is, 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 is doing this big thing, creating a sense of the incarnation and baptism by doing what he did at the beginning, When he formed man in his own image and likeness, and he breathed the Spirit upon him, and he became a living being uh, who was a son, a priest, a prophet, a king, a son, a bridegroom, all to the Lord, and the Lord loved him until he sinned. And even after he sinned, he still loved him and pursued him. And now we have the new Adam doing a new creation. It's, it's, it's God doing creation part two with this blind guy because of sin. Now he's going to recreate him. And where does he send him? Into the waters of Siloam, the waters of baptism, which means sent. And the man washes. And his, in the, the effects of original sin, spiritual blindness are washed away. And so now the man can see Jesus. And, and Jesus says, I am the one. And the guy gets down and what? Worships him. Now the Pharisees, scribes, the family, everybody else, they're all there's a massive confusion and division among them about what's going on here. Why? Because of the challenge that grace makes in our life to change the way we live our life, to change the way we see our lives, and to change the way we live with other people and see them. It calls for a radical reorientation of how we live in the world with other people. Stop seeing other people by their sins. Start seeing them as sons and daughters, worthy of love. You're a sinner, and yet we turn—we are sinners—and we turn around and we look at people and judge them, even though we have been forgiven our sins and God doesn't see us by our sins. Why would we turn around and see other people by theirs? Turn around and see people the way God sees them, and God loves them. He loves you, and He sees you that way, and it changes your life. You turn around now, give that away, and you see people by how they are loved as sons and daughters, and it changes their life. That's how we do it. That's the requirement. That's Lent, and that's what Lent is for, to change the way we see each other and live with each other. That young man saying, the biggest regret of my life is the way I treated my brother. I can't take that away. But now, I love him, and he's my best friend. That's what matters. You know, a mass uh, in a minute? And I, took, I, I take the bread and I take the chalice and I say the words of consecration over that. You know, I do that, don't you? And that uh, <laughs> happens. And I, as I say the words, what is my posture? You know, in the book, it, 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 it says, uh, the priest leaning slightly. What is that about? So why do I do that? Like I speak over it. As I, and I breathe, as I'm speaking over I am breathing on it. Why? Remember Genesis. God spoke the word over the elements of chaos, and creation came up out of it. God speaks the word carried by the Spirit, and that's where where the garden comes forth. So, Jesus standing at the altar, me in persona Christi, speaking the words, the word over the elements, and what comes about. The new creation. The body, blood, soul, divinity of Jesus. What happens at baptism, as they speak the words, as the, as the water is poured, this person comes out of the water as a new creation, as Christ. Eucharist, baptism, and the call to change the way we see each other in the world. Pope St. John Paul said, human love, which is limited, and makes terrible mistakes, Human love is swept up into divine love by and, and, and ele- is swept up in divine love and elevated, supercharged by Christ's redeeming sacrifice by the cross and the special sacraments of Eucharist and baptism, so that through that we become ministers of divine omnipotence. We become ministers of God in the world by Eucharist and baptism, through the Incarnation, through the merits of the cross, to see the way God sees. Not the way we see, but the way God sees. And how does God see each of us? He sees and loves in us what He sees and loves in His Son. He sees Jesus in you. You see Jesus in yourself, now turn around and see Christ in our brothers and sisters. And then, my brothers and sisters, uh, we'll have no regrets.